Good morning, church. <clears throat> Open your Bibles, if you would, to Revelation chapter 4, please. Revelation 4. And while we're doing that, uh, last week, uh, due to the weather, we did not have services out here d- based on the road conditions. And uh, so because of that, we had an opportunity last week that I was really discouraged we missed. Ethan and Audrey Greer, two of uh, the young people who have grown, born and raised in this church, are leaving this morning for Osaka, Japan, to serve on the mission field. And uh, we love that young couple. They're going to go join Jay and Caitlin Greer, who have started a church over there, Mustard Seed Christian uh, Church in, in Osaka. And uh, the Greers were going to be with us here last Sunday. And one of the things we wanted to do was have them on stage, pray for them, send them out with our love and encouragement. They are in transit right now to fly to Osaka today. And the last, if I heard correctly, the last that I talked to uh, Ethan, they were trying to get seven, or 18 containers of their possessions to fly over with them. And we were really hoping last week to encourage them and to to put a a face to names so that you can pray. But what I'd like us to do right now, would you join me in asking God to bless their trip and their ministry as they leave our country to go live over there and to win people to Jesus? So let's pray for them. God, we pray for Ethan and Audrey. We pray for their safety. I pray for your blessing and your commissioning on their lives. You've called them, and they have answered that call. And so... I ask that even this day as they travel, that you'll give them renewed energy, uh, that they'll be well rested when they arrive, that they'll be able to, that their stuff will make it safe, that you will provide all of these little things that make life just so much better. But God, most of all, we pray that you'll bring the light of Jesus into their lives in such a way that people in Japan will know who they love and who they follow and that they'll be able to introduce people to your son. God, we pray these things because we know it's your will. And because it's your will, we ask that you would allow it to happen to your glory, for your honor, uh, protect their lives, bless their families who are saying goodbye to them today, and uh, bless those that will greet them soon uh, when they arrive in their new place. Uh, God, we pray for them as they fulfill your calling in their lives, that you give them what they need, and that you do it all for your glory. May, God, may you get what you want from all of this. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to highlight what Cody Walker, our our church planter down in Joplin, mentioned a few moments ago. He didn't ask me to do this. I feel we need to. Uh, One of the things that we've been praying for as a leadership here as our church is that we would be able to tithe Christ Church of Orinoco down to Hope City Church. And the reason we want to do that is uh, this congregation uh, swells up to about 3,300 people at times, and then it'll drop back down a little bit, and it keeps kind of just percolating in in that area. So we've been praying that we could take 10% of 3,300 people, which would be 330 people, that would be there to help us plant Hope City. And some of those people live south of 7th Street, and some of those people are going to be missionaries all the way from Orinoco, Missouri, down to Joplin. But we're going to have people that have just decided that they want to be a part of that innovative church, and they want to do some things and be entrepreneurial. And if that's your heart, you have permission, you have blessing, you go down there and help that thing get going. And we're going to let God move people. But we want, we want you to join us in praying that God would tithe this church down there, that it would be healthy, strong, and most of all, so just clear across the deck to everybody, we are not looking for, for Christians from other churches to join at Hope. We're looking for people that want to win their neighborhoods to join in Hope. And so if that's you, you have the blessing of the leadership of this church to go down there and help expand that. 
If you're staying here, then you have our blessing to pray for them and sacrifice so that hope has a great chance of being what God wants it to be down there. And so really encourage you, 27 days away. There are two dates that are coming up that are very important. In 20 days, Major League Baseball starts. And in 27 days, Hope City Church. I pray for both of those, all right? So join me if you feel so led. I talked so long, my iPad went off. That's amazing. All right. Why does that surprise me? Okay. I want to review for those of you just visiting today. My name is Mark, and I'm one of the ministers here. And we began a series two weeks ago, and we've called this Keep the Words. We're looking at the revelation that God gave John, the book of Revelation, at the end of the Bible. And it's a book that has confounded and divided churches and Christianity for way too long. And we're not going to avoid the controversy because the controversy is not the important part. What we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks is what, what was John's audience supposed to do with the revelation, and when we find out what they were supposed to do with it, we'll find out what we're supposed to do with it. And instead of arguing about all of our differences, let's focus on why the revelation was given to John. So we've decided to focus on the imperative verbs. I want to give you a quick grammar lesson if you weren't here a couple weeks ago. The imperative verbs are the bossy words. They're the commanding and demanding words. Sit down, stop it, do this, don't do that. Those are imperative verbs. And if you listen to the revelation that Jesus gave John, he gave the church something to do. He gave them something to become. He just didn't give them images of bulls and seals and dragons and, and fallen nations. That wasn't what it was all about. It was, that imagery was to help project what we were to do with it. So we've entitled this series, Keep the Words. Focus on the commands. And if we live those commands out, Revelation becomes meaningful to all of us. There are 29 different command verbs, 29 imperatives in the book of Revelation. Some of them are do not, and some of them are do. We're focusing on the positive ones, the what we're supposed to do, that John was given to do in this. Now, uh, I used this a couple weeks ago, and it's been funny, the feedback I've gotten on it. I find it funny, and some of you did. Some of you are, are really going with this thing, so let's re remind ourselves. Dr. Randy Harris, who teaches Christian ministries and theology at Abilene Christian University, spoke at a conference I was at this summer, and he defined the book of Revelation three simple ways. God's team wins. You get to pick your team. Don't be stupid. Those are the three things to remember. So when you study Revelation, let's remind ourselves God's team's going to win. You get to decide right now which team you're on, and you're not uninformed, so don't be dumb. And when you look at that, it helps us understand what the intent of Revelation was. If you weren't with us two weeks ago, the first imperative command was to keep the words. Guard the words of God. It's found in the very first chapter, third verse, where when John's receiving this revelation, he's told to keep these things, make them important, don't forget them. And today we're going to talk about the next command. It's the command to come. It's a simple command. Sometimes it sounds like come and see, and sometimes it sounds like come here, but it's the command, the imperative to come. It's found 12 times in the book of Revelation. The first instance I want to show you is Revelation 4.1. This gives it a good example of what we're going to talk about today, what we're supposed to do with this revelation. After this, John says, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Come up here, 
and see. Uh, one of my favorite things when our boys were little, and of course they're, they're such a spread in age that they were only one at a time little. But I remember coming home when they're in that, between the age of 18 months and four years when they still liked me. I would come home for lunch and I'd come home from work and they would be toddling around the living room and they would see me and they would smile and I would get down to their level eye to eye and across the room I would say these words. I don't know why I said it, but I said it all the time. Come see me. And they would get up and try to make their way and waddle across the room and jump in my arms and I'd throw them on the couch and we'd wrestle and play and make them giggle and I loved it. Come see me. Leave where you're at and come to where I am. And if you get that, you understand what the command to come in the book of Revelation is. God says, come to me, come see me, and I'm going to pull back the curtain, and I'm going to reveal to you what I'm doing that you can't see from where you're at. In almost every instance in the book of Revelation, the command to come see me is the command to leave where we're at and let God show you what he's doing that we can't see in the midst of our circumstances. A good friend of mine, a very influential friend of mine, preaches in the state of Michigan. His name's Greg Steer. And Greg says, God invites us to come so that we can see better what's happening in his world. If you've ever had a dog, I don't know if if cats do this. I'll make no cat jokes. I'm allergic to them, so I've never had one and don't plan on one. But I love dogs. And a friend, uh, this preaching friend that I, I really admire, recently used an illustration that I'm just gonna steal because it's rich. He said, if you ever have a dog, how many of you have pointed at something across the yard like a bird or a, or a rabbit or something and you're trying to get the dog to see it? How many of us have had that experience? It's okay. Do they ever see what you're pointing at? No, they see the end of your finger. They're not very bright. They're wonderful, but they're not bright. And you can say, look there, and the dog will watch your hand and he watches the tip of your finger. And he's not seeing what's out there. Like it could be, go get the ball or go get this. And they just watch you into your finger. And when you see what the problem with most of us with the Bible is, we're only looking at the end of the finger because the scriptures point to Jesus, but we don't see him. Because we get caught up looking at the end of the scripture and going, I don't understand it. It's pointing us toward Jesus. And God says, come and see. Peek your head behind the curtain. But you have to leave where you're at to do this. You can't stay in your circumstances and see what God sees. You have to go where God is and get involved in what God's showing us. That's why we're studying the revelation. Not a prophecy, a prediction, but a revealing of who God is and what God's doing. And this encapsulates all of Revelation. This concept of come, leave your circumstances and come to him is common throughout the scripture. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 1. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. It's an interesting parallel, but God is saying, come to me and you will have things you can't have on your own. You'll understand things you'll never understand on your own. I can bless you in ways that you can't bless yourself. Leave, listen, God is saying, come and see me. Come and see what I'm doing. It's it's why we encourage everyone to to open your Bible each day of your life and see what God is revealing to you. God is saying, come into the scriptures and I'm going to give you a vision. Because the word come is the command, but there's also found throughout Revelation the command to write. Write it down and remember it. Journal 
your walk with God so that you can look back and remember. How many of us are grateful today that men like Luke and Matthew and Mark and John wrote down what God revealed to them so that 2,000 years later we can open and see what they saw, that we can experience the blessing? Come and see what God's revealing. Jesus said in John chapter 1, verse 39, come and you will see. He's saying, follow me, because I want to I push your head through the curtain and show you what's going on in the spiritual realm, not just in the earthly realm. And in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come see me. Come leave your circumstances and come where I am. And this is why Jesus came to earth, is to reveal all this to us. So the command of the revelation to John was, keep the words I'm about to give you. Remember what I'm telling you. Now look and see what I'm doing. And when we get these things right, the revelation of John makes a whole lot more sense than all the weird imagery that we argue about and make extra biblical things out of. So before I proceed, what I want to do is give you a biblical example. We're going to do this throughout this whole series. We're going to show you what the, what the command is, then I'm going to give you an example of when that command was followed or maybe sometimes not followed and what the implications of that is. So what I'd like you to do is let's look at the illustration of Elisha's vision. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 6. If you want to turn in your app or your Bible to that, you're welcome to. 2 Kings chapter 6. Now, while you're turning there, I want to give you a little background. The books of 1 and 2 Chronicles, 1 and 2 Kings in your Old Testament are really the, the, the Hebrews' uh, history books about the kings of Judah and Israel. It tells who they were, the stories, how they came into power, what God did or didn't do to them. They're the chronicles of the kings, if you will. And in 2 Kings chapter 6, there's a prophet named Elisha. And there's a moment in Elisha's ministry to the people that God shows us what it means to come and see. 2 Kings chapter 6. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God, Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on that place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, will you not tell me which one of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. And the report came back, he is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and he went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed. O oh Lord, open the eyes, open his eyes so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. This is what it means to come and see. Elisha prayed a simple prayer. Open his eyes. Let him see what you're revealing. And what's amazing is that you would think that that moment, I don't know if about you, but if I'm Elisha, I go, God, get him. And all those chariots of fire would come down and wipe out the enemy, but he doesn't do that. 
what he does is he prays, Elisha prays to, for his servant, open his eyes that he may see, but he prays about his enemy. Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike these people with blindness. I don't know if you've thought about this, but look at the juxtaposition. For one, he prays that he can see, and for the other, he prays that he can't. Because spiritual eyes, insight, an awareness of what God is doing is not just a command for the end times, it's a command for the present times. Many of us read and come to church and we open and we just don't get, the, we don't get it, we're not, we're not aware of it, we're not open to it, we're blinded. Jesus said that the reason they don't understand what I teach is their hearts are hard and their eyes are blind. Paul would pray, interestingly enough, he prayed that the eyes of their heart may be enlightened, may be opened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Church, I'm begging you today. If you want to enter into seeing the the fire of God all around you, you've got to open your eyes. And opening your eyes just doesn't mean I'm just going to read the Bible. You need to have to go to the Father and, and say, I'm coming to see you. Show me who you are. And when you do that, don't be shocked when your world gets flipped upside down and the Bible comes to life, and the power of God starts messing with everything. Don't be shocked when God shows you what he's doing, because it's a beautiful thing, even though in the Revelation it was scary. John was fearful, because his circumstances was that it seemed like Jesus was getting weaker, and the church was getting weaker, and, and John was in prison for his faith, and he had to wonder, is this going the wrong direction? And God said, come and see me. I'd like to lift you up and show you something you can't see on your own. Soon after the completion of Disney World in Orlando, Florida, in the 1970s, one of the workers who had been very involved in the whole processing of the the project was standing near some of the executives on opening day. And they opened the gates, and the people began to flow into it. And this one worker very whimsically said, isn't it too bad that Walt Disney didn't live to see this? And a man named Michael Vance, who was the creative director of Disney Studios, Standing nearby, the gentleman said to him, he did see it. That's why it's here. See, he saw it before it ever materialized. It's the old story of even in California, they they talk about when Art Linkletter, the, the famous TV host, was taken by Walt Disney to this orange grove outside of Anaheim, California. And he asked Linkletter if he wanted to invest in this orange grove, and Linkletter passed on it. And years later, when Disneyland opened... Who was the MC to the opening night on ABC? Art Linkletter. He said the greatest mistake in his life was he couldn't see what Walt Disney saw. And as a pastor, I'm really worried that many of us don't see what God wants us to see because we're not opening our eyes and going where he's showing us. And there's life when God pulls back the curtain because he's given us a vision of what we're supposed to see to live well. So what I'd like to do is just briefly show you four visions where John was told to come and see. And these visions encourage us. Let's begin with the first one. Come and see heavenly worship. It's the first, it's, or not the first, but it's one of the commands of the 12 in Revelation. It's, again, our opening verse. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. See, we're going to look at the command to worship in two weeks, and I really encourage you to be here on the 23rd, because we're going to learn what it means 
the command of what worship means beyond just music and Sunday mornings. But there's a picture taking place in Revelation 4 and Revelation 5 in those chapters where John has a moment where he discovers some amazing things. John sees the beauty in chapter 4 of the throne of God and he sees all living creatures gathered around worshiping their creator. No longer are we saying we're better than our creator or our creator doesn't get us. But instead, we're falling on our faces before him. And in Revelation 4.11, they cry out, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. John has this beautiful vision, this, this powerful vision of a God who's in control, a God who has this. And then in Revelation chapter 5, there's a transition. Somebody brings out a scroll, and there's very important information in this document. And to understand what God is doing, this document must be read. But it's been sealed seven times with a wax seal that the king's signet ring would have been entered into. And nobody was allowed to open that scroll and read what was on it without permission of the king. And nobody could break those seven seals, seven being a number of perfection and uh, perfect unity in the book of Revelation in numerology, that seven meant something. And John is weeping because nobody can break open the scroll. Nobody knows how this is all going to end. And he's perplexed by this. And then out of nowhere comes this wounded lamb slain, a lamb that had been sacrificed. The lamb comes forward and takes the scroll and breaks all seven seals and opens up to all of us so we can see that God has got this. And when he breaks the seal in Revelation 5 verse 9, when we see what's going on and they sing a new song, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. There's worship going on because the God of all creation has created everything and the lamb that was slain has freed all of us to re-engage that creation in our God. And there's great worship. But the thing that makes my tail wag the most in this entire teaching about seeing this moment of worship is I love the fact that it says, and a voice broke out Revelation 4.1, a voice broke out that sounded like a trumpet. I don't know about you, but I guess I've grown up in a world where I, I've always thought God was one of those, Psst, hey, Mark, come here. I love I got a God going, yo, Mark, get over here, come see me. I want that God, do you? I, I, I don't need the silent God because I don't shut up long enough to listen. I need a God who blows a trumpet and goes, hey, knucklehead, get over here. God comes home and says, Mark, come see me. And I get on my little toddler legs and I chubby myself all the way across the room going, pick me up, I want out of here. I got a God that we're gonna worship one day because he's gonna say, come see me. And he's already showed us what it'll be like when we get there. I don't know if that encourages you. I hope it does. If it doesn't make your tail wag, find out if you have a tail. All right, second thing. Come and see that God will win. Come and see that God will win. This is found in Revelation 17. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on the many waters. Now that's a weird verse to pull out of the middle of nowhere and explain on a Sunday morning. In the Revelation, the world's culture is depicted 
as a prostitute. What does a prostitute do? It gives pleasure to somebody in return for taking something of value from them. Would you agree that our culture is a prostitute? It offers us temporary pleasure and it takes our souls. And in the moment when John had to wonder, are we ever, ever going to win? Are we, is, is the word of Jesus being diminished in all of that moment? There's a vision where the angel says, come and see that this prostitute we call our culture is going to die a horrible death. And all of those who have pledged their allegiance to her will die with her. Come and see that there will be victory for those that remain faithful. Come and see that God will win. Many of us don't see that. We're caught up in this world today that says, if I don't have enough of this and enough of this and enough of this, then I'm not really living a good life and God has abandoned me. No, God will abandon those who need to have this, this, and this. Do you remember what we talked about in January through the study of Colossians? Jesus is all you need to be all you want. He's enough. God's going to win this thing. We get to pick a side. Let us not be uninformed. The third thing, come and see the power of the resurrection. Come and see the power of the resurrection. It's found in Revelation 17, or uh, I'm sorry, Revelation 11. I need to give you a little backdrop. In John's revelation, there are these two witnesses, they're called. These two people who stand up and testify that Jesus Christ is Lord and King, and they are killed, they are killed by the prostitute. The culture kills them. The, the leaders of the powers of the world take them out. And John sees this moment where these two stand up and tell the truth, and they lose their lives. And it's a great moment of despair. It's a picture of what many of us wonder. Is, the, is our world falling apart? Is it, is it all just going right down the toilet, right in front of our eyes? And many of us lament that God is not in control because the world's doing exactly what he told us it would. Now, God is in control. And in this moment, when he sees these two witnesses abandoned by the world for their testimony, Revelation 11, 11. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them. Isn't that interesting? That's how we came into existence, and that's how we'll stay in existence. That the breath of God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and terror struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. Isn't it funny that when, when Jesus called Lazarus from the tomb in John 11, that he said, Lazarus, come forth, come, see me. And it said, Lazarus left the tomb and came to Jesus. And John says that these two martyrs die for the cause of Christ. Three and a half days later, that huh, sounds like something we celebrate at Easter. But anyway, three and a half days later, they're raised to life. And how are they raised to life? When the voice from heaven says, come see me. And what I love about this is they don't remain here. They're taken right into the presence of God, just like Paul says we will be. When you see what God wants you to see, you'll see God. You won't be looking at the end of the finger. You'll be looking to where the finger's pointing. It always points to Jesus. It always does. John Ortberg, in a book called Who Is This Man, tells the story of a Sunday school teacher who asked his class, he said, what do you think were the first words of Jesus when he was raised from the tomb? And before he could give them the correct theological answer, a little girl in his class said, ta-da! 
<laughs> I dig that. <laughs> Isn't that our God? I don't think Jesus is going to come back all somber. I think he's going to come back and go, ta-da! And someone said this morning, I was right. I love that. There's joy in the resurrection. And there was great lament when the witnesses were dead. But when they were raised, there was celebration. And the heavens began to cry out, our God is true. Our God is real. So come and see the power of the resurrection. And then come and see the glory of God's work. Fourthly, come and see the glory of what God's doing. And I'm going to give you the punchline before I give you the joke. You and I are the glory. It's hard to imagine But what does God want out of all of this? He wants you and me. He doesn't want us begrudgingly. He he finds us to be the bride that he has pursued, the bride that has been betrothed to him, the bride that he wants to give, that he wants us to give our heart to. He's the groom. Revelation 21, verse nine, one of the seven angels said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And it shone with the glory of God. And the brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel. And for the remainder of this large part of Revelation 21, he depicts the heaven is going to be like pearly gates. Have you ever wondered why every joke says Peter stood at the pearly gates? Well, where did that imagery come from? Because Revelation 21 says that the gates are made of pearl and the streets are made of gold and there's all these beautiful gems and natural materials that God put in his creation. Now, I don't know. We could argue about this, but once again, it doesn't matter. Is it actually going to be streets of gold? Or was that an image that God gave John to make sense of the fact that we've never seen a city like this ever in our lifetime? That this city is so amazing that it's hard to put into words. And so when you see a beast with four heads, one's like a man, one's like a lion, and you go, oh my gosh, what is it? Well, I think God was using imagery to capture the attention of John that something amazing is going on here. And this beautiful city comes down. And it's a city where the the bride, the wedding chamber, where the bride will meet the groom and they will be united forever. It's the most beautiful wedding chapel ever made. But verse 22 is significant. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. I think that's amazing. When you wonder if this world is falling apart and it's going to hell, I have good news. No, it's actually being changed over to heaven. And God is going to come back and he's going to say all to all of us who will listen, come and see me and we'll get to. And it's the glory, the beauty, the power. So what do we do with this? If you take two weeks ago's command to keep the words of God and you hear today's command to come and see what those words are teaching us if you want your heart to be open and you want to get away from this this prostitute of a culture that's asking us to sell our souls for temporary satisfaction then I'm telling you if you keep the words of God and you see what God wants to reveal to you you're going to live well see it's not enough to have a fleeting glimpse once in the past of who God is Every day we must fight with our vision to see who God is so that we'll never forget and write these things and keep these things and see these things. If you want to know the difference of what sight makes, look with me at Philippians chapter 2. Paul says your attitude 
Your attitude about what you're after should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the, right, the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That right there is the book of Revelation. You want to know what Revelation means? It's God's going to win, and he's going to win through Jesus, and we can choose to be with Jesus, or we can choose to be without Jesus, but you're not uninformed. Paul says, understand that the God of heaven came to see us so that we could see him. And then I was amazed when I was reading toward the end of the Revelation again. This might be the only imperative that we're commanded to do and we can command God to do. I don't know that I should tell God to do anything, but this one I can. Look at Revelation 22, 20. He who testifies to these things says, surely, this is Jesus, surely I am coming soon. Amen, John says. Come, Lord Jesus. It's the imperative. You and I get the privilege of saying to our creator, God, come quickly. Please. I want to see you. I want to be with you. So when God comes in the door at the end of the day, he knelt down to our eye level as Jesus, and Jesus said, come see me. And today we get to get out of our chairs and go see him, and see who he is, and be reunited with our creator God. I don't know about you, church, my tail's wagging a lot this morning, because there's good news that this Jesus says, come, come who are thirsty, come who, those of you that are weak, come and I'll show you what life is meant to be. Let's stand together and sing.